Welcome back everyone. Um, it's Angela and Siobhan here. Uh, we're going to start our first podcast today. You may well have heard our trailer. We are both widows and uh, we just want to basically share our experiences and any tips of advice we can give you and it's just to basically say that you aren't alone um, and we've both experienced very different deaths of our husband myself through my husband had cancer and Siobhan um, David died very unexpectedly he did he did die unexpectedly and that's what's going to be the subject of today's podcast Um, so I'm going to tell you about David his sudden shocking death Um, and in a way it's going to feel as if it's a bit of a story and I don't mean it to be that for any reason except that's how it how I remember it and how it seemed at the time because there was so little preparation so just to give you the context um, it was a it was the 28th of January 2016 and in the morning David and I and my other daughter Naomi had seen off my daughter Hannah and her family who were flying back to Boston because they were living in Boston at the time. So I remember David walking up the street, waving at the taxi as it was going, um, as it was carrying Hannah and her children and her husband back to Boston, back to the airport and then back to Boston. I, meanwhile, was in my gym gear, as was my daughter, because we were heading down to a local health club to go to the gym and do some exercise. And I remember David coming into the kitchen and kissing me on the forehead to say goodbye um, and asking me if I was going straight away, which I I was going to do. Um, I then remember saying to him, gosh, could you move your car because it's behind mine? And I then went into my car with Naomi and David um, reversed his out of the drive. And then I remember something slightly strange because I normally would have just waved at him and said bye sort of through the window. But I stopped my car and wound down the window and I wanted to say goodbye properly. And I said goodbye and said see you later. Um, But I thought that was slightly odd when I looked back at it. Anyway, then the day passed. I got a phone call from David at about six o'clock saying to me, I think I'm going to go to the gym shiv. I'm going to go there on the way home and then we'll have some supper. And I was excited because I bought steak for dinner. Um, We were going to watch the next episode of The Good Wife. It was all very sort of comfortable. Naomi, my daughter, was there. Um, And Hannah and her husband and children were on a plane back to Boston. And my son was in Singapore. So I have two two children. I had two children living overseas at that time. Um, Anyway... I got the steak sort of out of the fridge and just like was waiting for him to come home. Thought he was taking a while. Um, Naomi phoned him and there was no answer. And I thought, oh, right, he's just been longer at the office. He always used to say he was leaving work and then didn't leave quite on time. So I thought, oh, that's okay. He's just taking a bit of extra time. And um, then there was still no answer when I called. And I thought, this is really odd. Um... Anyway, I was thinking, right, what do we do here? And I, I got the good wife up. I thought, oh, we'll wait. Or we'll, maybe Naomi and I'll watch a good wife. Maybe David's having a long time in the gym, having worked late. And then the doorbell rang. And bearing in mind, you can think about this. It's like it's dark outside. Um, I think I had the outside light on. But I went towards the door 
and I saw the silhouettes of two policemen waiting outside the door. And I, I knew with that sort of sick feeling that this was going to be bad news. And I, I remember saying to Naomi, calling out to Naomi, turn the television off, just turn the television off. And I opened the door and in came these policemen who looked young, uh, who came in, asked me to sit down. And, you know, it's like that really weird sort of sensation where I was numb. I was just thinking, what the hell's going on here? I, everything seemed to be like slow motion. And I sat down on the sofa and they just started talking about the fact that David had collapsed in the gym on the rowing machine, that people had tried to resuscitate him, that, that they had got the heart beating again for a short amount of time but that it didn't continue, it hadn't been strong enough to continue, that the ambulance had arrived, etc., etc., giving lots of details. And a part of me was thinking, okay, now just get to the point where you're going to tell me we're going to drive down to Pembury and it's all going to be fine because he's in intensive care, but he'll be fine. Um, but they didn't get to that part and they just said, he's died, he's dead. And I, I, I don't know, I, I just started shaking and um, I, I just didn't have anything to say, I didn't know what to say. They put the kettle on, they made me a cup of tea, they asked me to call a friend. Um, I, Naomi, I think, my daughter called a friend and just asked her to come, I can't really remember. And um, she came over for a short time. They made us promise that we would tell my children who were overseas. Well, one was on a flight, so I, I couldn't really tell her yet until she'd arrived. And my son, Jamie, was in Singapore and it was a different time of day. I, I can't really remember, but anyway, I did think about calling them and, and but had to think about what to say. And I guess it was like the worst phone call I've ever had to make, or the couple of phone calls, the worst phone calls I've ever had to make telling your children that their father has died is just terrible. And because it was so sudden, it was so unexpected, he collapsed on the rowing machine and died. And he was 61 years old, so he was far too young to die. We'd had no warning. It was just awful. It was such a shock. It was such a shock. And the things I remember are imagining my daughter, because I had to wait until I knew she was back from the airport, or I calculated she would be landed and was back from the airport at Boston to be in her apartment. And um, I imagined, I, I, when I phoned her, I said to her, Hannah, darling, it's mum, where's Hugh, asking about her husband. She's always doing the washing up, and I said, well, I've got some bad news, and she said, well, I mean, you know, are you telling me that Nanny has died? Because I know she's near death, meaning David's mother, actually. Um, but, you know, it's all right, Mum, I'm not upset. And I said, it's it's not Nanny, it's your father, it's Dad. He's He died, he died at Um And it was awful. She, you know, I kept imagining, I should have, I kept thinking I should have spoken to her husband first or whatever, but anyway, that's what I did. I don't know if I did the right thing or not. I tried to make it as okay as possible. It's never going to be okay. I know she went straight to her neighbours and uh, her neighbour looked after her while her husband looked after her children. I then phoned my 
son in Singapore. I kept phoning him, he wasn't answering, he was asleep, he probably turned his phone off. And um, when I told him what had happened, he let out this awful cry. It was like a primeval cry, awful. And I heard my daughter-in-law running in. I mean, I heard her shouting, what is it, what is it, what's happened, what's happened? Anyway, that was the most awful phone calls I've ever had to make. I can't imagine what you've been through and that, that shock. And you almost want... You, you you must have felt that you were suspended in this life that was revolving mm. around you, but you you just couldn't believe that David had died. And you know, telling the children is is must have been awful because you your whole instinct as a as a parent is to protect them, isn't it? And you know, when they're small, you want to put a plaster on it, but something as big as this. And even though they were married with their own children, I obviously know me wasn't but she was at home with you but it, it doesn't as you said 61 is 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 no age at all and it's something that you you it was seven years ago but as you talk you, you I can see with your face that you're taken back to that moment and those yeah. very very vivid images of seeing the policeman at the door and it all comes flooding back and I think when when Siobhan and I are at seven years and ten years we try and bury a lot of those images because they're so so very painful aren't they and 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 sort of you've done so well Siobhan bringing speaking so vividly about it because I know it's it's really painful and and I know that those of you out there that are listening to us now those probably images of your husband's wives um, passing away is is brings back so many dreadful emotions and those emotions as we mentioned on our trailer that just bubble under the surface and that's all part of grief but with that grief comes a lot of anger and denial and shock and Mm. thank you for sharing that Siobhan because I know it's been very difficult to to express how Mm. you felt and what it was like for you and the children yeah it has and I think uh... I think it's really hard, it must be hard for everyone when we go back, whatever the death is like, we go back and we think about what our experience was, what our feelings were. And, you know, I remember that night, Naomi and I pulled out the sofa bed in the sitting room and we turned on crack TV. That's what we did. I think we watched Living Down Under or Moving Down Under. We watched every episode all through the night because we just couldn't sleep. And I knew my other two children would be trying to fly home as soon as they could. And they did fly home as soon as they could. And it was just one of those awful nights and mornings when I didn't really know what the time was. I didn't care what the time was. I felt so numb. I just wanted this all to be sort of over. Mm. And of course, it's never it over. Never, never over. And and I can remember waking up in the morning after Simon had died, those first sort of five seconds, ten seconds in the morning when you've eventually have slept and it, everything seemed normal. And then I remembered that Simon had died and it was like a trap door opening. Yes. So 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 you you sort of been sort of sucked down into this void of grief and it's a physical pain it's your stomach churning and you feel that pain in your heart I felt my heart was breaking Mm. um and the experience that Siobhan had with sudden death is 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 
such a different from experience than what we were experiencing as a family. But those emotions that you talk about afterwards, when Simon died, even though I knew that Simon was dying, there was still this sense of disbelief. Mm. How could he? How could he have died? You know, how, how I was looking, looking at him one minute breathing, and the next minute, he, he'd gone. And with, with us, you know, Simon and I had been together. Well, I was 17 when I met Simon and he was very fit and healthy and he'd always played a lot of sport. Um, he was he was very placid and very easygoing and just suddenly at the age of 52, he had difficulty in swallowing and uh, the GP prescribed some medication, which, you know, we thought would help. Simon had quite a stressful job and um, everyone was putting it down to stress or possibly a hiatus hernia. Um, and, uh, and eventually the GP referred him to a gastroenterologist who basically said, you're so fit, you're so healthy, you've got no cancer in the family, you'll be fine. You just go mm. away, enjoy your summer holiday and uh, if you've got any more symptoms, then come back. And we went as a family to Spain and that was our last family holiday and... I used to watch Simon and he used to to walk around the room to try and get food down, to try and get to swallow. And I, I knew, I knew that this this wasn't right. He knew it too. And uh, going back after the holiday, um, the gastroenterologist said, I'll, I'll do a um, gastroscopy. And I remember taking my daughter to school. Um, that morning and Simon saying oh pick me up and we'll we'll go and have a pub lunch Um, and in fact it was the pub where Simon had proposed many years before (laughs) and I was really looking forward to that Um, obviously in my back of my mind I thought no it can't possibly be cancer Simon's just too fit and too well and it's not going to happen to us Um, so a phone call later Simon said I need to go for a CT scan after the gastroscopy and I knew then that there was something that wasn't quite right and when I went back Simon was quite drugged up from the procedure and alongside the bed were his notes and on the top of those notes was a form which was a CT request form to the local hospital with um, in great big block capitals uh, possible diagnosis carcinoma so that was the very first time that cancer had been on black and white on paper. It 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 was the realization that this was this was this wasn't good. If Simon was going for a CT scan, this wasn't good. So we we had to walk to a local coffee shop and uh, we sat there for a couple of hours, trying to make conversation anything that didn't revolve around the CT scan or what had just happened and. Um, The long and short of it was that after the CT scan, we were actually rung by one of Simon's colleagues, friends, who was actually a radiologist at the time, and said, Simon, this is treatable. It hasn't gone anywhere else. And um, that was on the Friday. um, And we saw the oncologist on the Monday. And there began the journey of chemo and um, telling the children which... As Siobhan said, telling the children that their father had died was just the worst thing as a mother you can possibly do. And as a mum and a dad, sitting the three children down to tell them that the dad had cancer was horrific. And still to this day, it's 
very, very vivid, but we still had hope. We had hope that the chemo would work. We had hope that Simon would, would, would be cured and would live a long, long life after this little blip of cancer. And Simon was very, very optimistic. And he, as he, in his own words, he could compartmentalise. He could put cancer in one little compartment, work, children, me, life, friends, golf in others whereas for me it was just there the whole time and I couldn't believe mm. looking at Simon he was so fit and healthy that this cancer was in his body and it was taking over parts of his body but and every time he had chemo we'd go yes we're going to get rid of these cancer cells yes you're going to be fine yes we're going to live our normal life we're going to live until our old age and enjoy the grandchildren and um, and the chemo did work and uh, you know Simon put, went through so much as all of you know that when you see your loved ones go through chemo what they have to endure is absolutely unbelievable he his mouth was sore he couldn't feel his fingers he was sick he lost his hair but he was so positive and um, he was due to have um, the tumour removed which shrank brilliantly with the chemo and um, that was at the Marsden in Fulham and uh, we walked down to the lift on the morning that he was having the surgery and we both hugged and said you're going to be cancer free we've got our life to lead and Simon went down into theatre and the surgeon then rang me about an hour later to say I'm really sorry it's all spread and that was the huge shock for me The shock initially that Simon had cancer, but there was always the hope that the cancer could be eradicated from his body. But then the shock that actually within an hour, Simon had gone from being curative to palliative. And the first thought was, I was going to lose him. Simon was only 54. He had so many more years of life to live and that the children were going to lose their dad. And... It was just, I remember, you know, just just that, well, just coming home and having to tell the children. But once again, we were always told they could have palliative chemo and that many patients had lived for years and years. And, you know, that could be Simon. Um, But unfortunately, the cancer did grow and um, he had a bowel obstruction um, following radiotherapy. Uh, He, his bowel, it caused uh, sepsis. And um, Simon was very unwell and was taken to intensive care. And he was dripped and drained. And I can remember seeing him on the bed thinking, this is just so cruel. This is just so cruel. Simon's dying and this is just so unfair that he's having to endure all this. And I remember looking out onto the road when they were doing something. I was in the room with Simon and, and looking out and there was a bridal shop on the Fulham Road and a bride and her party had picked up all the boxes and they were so excited and they were all hugging and all kissing as they got in the car and I thought my gosh where where has my life where has our life gone you know that's how we started off and we thought we were going to go down the straight path we thought we were going to live until our 80s and live life together for a long time and that wasn't the case and Simon said, I want everything to be turned off. And the consultant said, there's no point bringing someone back to life when they're going to die a few months later. So everything was switched off. And Simon did die very peacefully and he was able to hug all the children and say all the things that he needed to say. 
but it 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 was a tr- just a, a traumatic horrific time from the day he was diagnosed to the time he passed and since dealing with everything that we cope through with life after and i think you know before simon died you 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 you'd sort of compare not compare that's the wrong thing to say but you would think about oh well it, it would be a privilege if you knew that someone was dying to tell them all the things that you wanted to tell them that you loved them and that but it's no it that was almost horrific to to go through those year yes. year and a half with him being like that but then you never had that chance to say that but then david knew all along that you loved him and and that the children were loved and the children knew that from their dad didn't they they definitely did they definitely did and well yeah and I, there was never a time and you know i'm just thinking of you and having just struck me what a shock that must have been when you went to the hospital having the operation where you're thinking this is curative and coming back and realising that it wasn't in that that awful shock, that realisation that your hope was gone. Completely dashed, yeah. Um, But in terms of being able to say goodbye, um, I wasn't able to say goodbye. We had the body laid out um, and I went to look at the body with the children and it was just like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't him. The hair was wrong, everything was wrong. Well, not everything was wrong. The hair was wrong. He didn't look like himself. And, um, you know, his skin was cold. I kissed him. The children couldn't kiss him. Or I can't remember. Maybe one or two of them did. I can't remember. I just remember sort of staying there. We had a room where we could be. And I told him I loved him. But he couldn't hear. No. He no. couldn't hear. But I, I do believe that he knew that I loved him. And I... I'm so glad we had not, I don't know, he had not died when we'd had a terrible row no. or anything <laughs> like that. No. But I remember you saying also that Simon didn't believe he was going to die, so no. even if you had wanted to have those conversations, no. you didn't feel able to. No, no, it was, it, was, it was the first time in our sort of marriage that it was something that wasn't discussed. It was like an elephant in the room. As far as Simon was concerned, he wasn't going to die. He was no. going to fight it. Um and I, he he was like that with all his well with the children and with his friends as well so it, it and i think when you know that someone's dying because you love them so much you have to do what they want to do if they don't want to talk about it then you can't talk about it no. simon didn't want to plan his funeral he didn't want to talk about afterwards he it it it, it was just as if he could just cope with the day you know, yes. we'll get through the day, we'll, we'll, we'll go for a walk, we'll watch this on TV, we'll have this, if I can eat this for dinner. It was just day by day. But Simon had always done that in his life. He was always quite good at, at, at compartmentalising yes. and, and, and not wanting to see into the future. Um, and, and we know all of you out there are all experiencing different things at this moment in time. And, you know, it's, it's not that we're saying that my experience with Simon and Siobhan's experience with David will be your experiences but mm. it, it it's just to, to to just to inform you that that's or just to explain or just to share with you what we've gone through and what is the most difficult thing but you know seven years down the line and ten years down the line we we have survived haven't we and we have survived and I think I think the other thing to say is that 
I and I think probably you, we both went a little bit mad. Yes. So actually, something like this happening made me mad. I I think I, as I said, I watched a lot of crap television. I probably drank too much. David had a very healthy wine cellar, which became less healthy over the sort of six <laughs> weeks afterwards. Um, and I didn't think I was... I don't think I was really sane, to no. be honest. And I, I think it is. It, grief is a form of madness. And mm. I had the knowledge that Simon was going to die. So I read a lot about grief. And, um, you know, all those things that you, you think you're going to experience, um, denial, acceptance, anger, um, all those sort of things. I didn't... I thought you just sort of worked through one before you went through another yeah. I didn't really appreciate that you could experience all those feelings in an hour let alone a, a day and yeah. I remember I went for a bit of counselling when Simon's treatment was palliative and the, the counsellor I, I said to the counsellor I, I, I feel that I'm I'm grieving I am definitely grieving and she said yes you are but it doesn't mean to say that you won't feel um, any worse or, or it means that you, you, you know you will probably feel worse after Simon's yeah. died and I remember driving down the road thinking well that's ridiculous I can't feel any worse than I do already how can I grieve any more than I am I know I'm going to lose Simon I'm anticipating being on my own and and Simon at the age of 54 losing all his life but yes. it wasn't until he died that I understood what she meant yes and and and, and it is a form of insanity um but I think if you can what well, we we are part of a group and we all share how we feel. And I think if you're out there at this moment, if you can find another group to be with or to talk to other widows, you will realise that you aren't actually going insane and what you are feeling is normal and is okay. Yes, and you don't... And actually, people really can't appreciate that. Like, you, you thought, how can I grieve more than this? How can I be any mad, more mad than I am now? Is actually, until you lose that person that you love... You can't know. No. You just don't know. No, no. And I think um, I think that there are so many other things that we will we can talk about. Yes. In another in another session really, in another podcast, like the immediate aftermath, etc. etc. But maybe this is enough for now for you yeah. to all to hear and for us to just send, I don't know, love to you all out there and to say that yes, it's hell and Yes, eventually you get through it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the most important thing to do is to lean on those that support you the most. And um, that's a lot of uh, topics that we're going to be discussing next time. But in the meantime, you aren't alone. We, we will be sharing a lot more with you and we will be getting more people to come and share their experiences and their thoughts as well. So in the meantime, much love from us both. Yes, indeed. Much love. Go well. Bye-bye.